0: Thanks for tuning into the Texas Family Law Podcast, where we provide you tips and insight to help you navigate divorce and child custody situations.
1: This is Brian Walters.
0: And I'm Jake Gilbreth. We are the managing partners at Walters-Gilbreth PLLC with offices in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And we're both board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization.
1: Your hosts are broadcasting from the Lone Star State of Texas, where both have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates, both inside and outside the courtroom.
0: All right, so this week, I think we wanted to talk about business valuations, which is an issue that comes up quite often in divorces when you have one spouse um, or both spouses together own a business. So I think I want to start by talking about why we do the valuation in the first place, and why it's important a divorce that people figure out what the actual value uh, of, the, of the business is and why we need that as part of the property division. So, Brian, can you start by talking to us about you know what's the overall goal on getting the valuation on the business and how that plays out in the property division? And then we can kind of talk about the logistics of how that gets accomplished.
1: Sure, so when you're getting divorced, if you have community property, it, it needs to be divided, and one of the questions besides, is it community property is how much is it worth, assuming that it is and so or could be a little bit of both community and and separate property, so you know it's not like a bank account that's got twenty five hundred dollars in it where you could say, well, that's worth twenty five hundred dollars you've got to go and go and value it. And it's again, not for, you know, Hey, I own 5% of um, a publicly traded company. We can go to the stock exchange and see what that's worth on a given day. These are uh, non publicly traded companies and and it can be difficult to to value them.
0: Yeah. I think what I, I was trying to remind people when we talk about value, essentially what we're doing is coming up with a spreadsheet. Like anytime you think about a divorce and property division, Try to think that at the end of the day you're going to have a spreadsheet that has every single asset the family owns all the way from the residence, the marital residence, or cars, bank accounts like you were talking about Brian, all the way down to if furniture has any value on it that's on the spreadsheet and so when you're thinking about when you think about property division, we're really just trying to build that spreadsheet in the disputes, and this can sort of spur off of the tons of different aspects of the divorce, but the disputes or really the goals is a better way of saying it, is to one, identify all the assets two figure out the character. Like, like you were saying, Brian, where there could be community or separate or mixed character. So identify them, figure out the character, and then figure out the value of them. Cause whenever we put these on a spreadsheet, they got to have values on it. Like you were saying, Brian, my Chase account, I can see you know the Chase account has $10,000 in it. There's a value that's easy. You know, the house, you can get that appraised, there's a value on it, that's easy. You know, business can be um, quite a bit more complicated, but it's going to have to have a value on it because we got to remember it's we're not going down with a carving knife and splitting every single asset half and half. You know, assets are being pushed onto different columns. You know, if, if it's the wife's business, if she's a doctor and she owns her own medical practice, it's the, the medical practice is going to go in her column. It's not like the medical practice is going to be awarded to the, the wife's medical practice is going to the, the is be awarded to the husband. In fact, most buy sell agreements would prohibit that, uh, but it's actually going to be awarded to the wife. So it's okay. What's the value of it? Because then we're going to have to compensate the other spouse for, um, for for the value of it to to achieve the division that we want. So that's why you know it's such an important thing that we get an accurate value on it. It's it's interesting to me. I th- for me, on property divisions, one of the more interesting things that we do is talk about business valuations because you know, really good experts. I, I don't know about you, Brian, but I've seen really good experts be 10, $20 million apart on the valuation of our business. And if you think about it, as far as like a property division, if we're doing a 50-50 property division, and we're apart $10 million on a business valuation, that right there is a $5 million dispute for a spouse. And And so it really does matter. And people sort of forget Forget her, I think don't pay enough attention to like how big of an issue business valuations can be in the divorce. How often do you think, Brian? You see, I guess just talking to the Houston
1: office. How often do you see business valuations come up in your divorces? Pretty regularly, and I think you really hit the the nail on the head when you said if you have a medical practice or part ownership of a business or something, it even if you have a even if you're the sole owner, it's almost certainly going to go to one of the parties, either by agreement or just practically speaking. And so a lot of times when you have valuation disputes over, let's say, a piece of real estate or uh, something else like that, you kind of just say, well, whoever thinks it's worth the most, you you get it. And so that's a disincentive to, to inflate a value. But if you know who's yeah. going to get it in advance, it sets you up for conflict right there. And so a lot of times people that, that are otherwise pretty amicable with each other or pretty, pretty reasonable with people can, uh, can get into these conflicts over that issue. And so we, we see it as a, as a common source of, of conflict in cases in Houston, at least.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's the same in, in Austin. And of course, our, our Dallas office sees, sees the same. You know, it's, it, it, it's exactly that. It's what you're saying. You know, if I have a half a million dollar house and my spouse goes, well, I think it's worth a million. Go, oh, great. I'll give it to you on your spreadsheet, your side of the spreadsheet for 900000 you know, and that's the easiest way of dealing with it. But you're right. It kind of a lot of times puts us in, in a box where we have to have this fight about what it's worth because you have a spouse that we all know is going to get the practice uh, or the business. And I think I alluded to this a few minutes ago. It's a lot of times there's actual buy sell agreements, you know, if you're going to get there's three partners in a business, they'll all sit there and they'll sign what's called a buy-sell agreement. And if they do it right, they'll actually have the spouses sign it. And a, a typical buy-sell agreement says, look, in the event of the divorce, the ownership in the in the business is gonna maintain with the spouse whose name it, it's in. In other words, if I've got two partners, you know, if me, Brian and you know a friend of ours, you know, call call the friend Jessica. Me, Brian, Jessica form a business together. Me, Brian, and Jessica don't want to be business partners with the other partners soon to be ex-spouse. So it's typical for us to sign something that says you can't transfer these business interests or the divorce court can't uh, can't do it. Or if the divorce court does do it, then I have a right of first refusal to purchase it back at fair market value. So always sort of coming back to this, what's the valuation question? And like we were just saying that's a, that's a huge question. So I, I think next we want to sort of talk about the importance of hiring an expert because you know, I think, Brian, you and I understand business valuations. We deal with them all the time. I can read them. I can interpret them. I can cross-examine on them, but I'm not the one that's going to be valuing your business. It's not the divorce lawyer's job. And you wouldn't want me or Brian telling you your business is worth X. It's, it's actually, you go out and hire an expert witness to to value the business. Uh, so, Brian, talk to me too. Uh, I'm sure you see this too. A lot of times I'm having the conversations with clients about well, why have to go hire somebody like, why can't I just get my CPA to do it? Why can't I, I got my buddy that, that he can value it? Or, or we have a, a internal formula that we use. And so why do I need to hire an expert? So what do you say? It's a fair question. I mean, I get why people ask that, but what do you tell clients whenever you hear that question from them, when they're looking at having to pay a bill to hire an expert witness an expert CPA to, to value their business?
1: Main reason is, is that the, the way uh, you value a business in a divorce is different than you would do it in any other way. You know, if you're trying to take a company public, you're going to value it one way if you're going to sell. Like the example you had, if I wanted to sell my, my share of a business that I am with you and Jessica, you, know, you and I and Jessica would look at it one way. But when you're doing it in a divorce, it's a, a different set of rules and uh, therefore, there's only a few people in, in the state that really understand that and are qualified to make those valuations and be able to defend them in a courtroom.
0: I think that last bit's the biggest part. The defendant in the courtroom is is how to do it. That uh, uh, kind of leads into the discussion, too, on uh, what's, what's unique to the divorce process and valuing a, a business in the divorce process is, in Texas, we back out what's called personal goodwill. So, you know, back to this analogy where, me, Brian and Jessica own a business. It'd be typical if we're going to sell it, whoever the buyer is, is going to require what's called a non-compete. Basically saying, you know, Brian, Jake, Jessica, you guys, I'm going to buy your business and I'm going to make you guys sign something that says you can't go across the street and compete with me doing, you know, doing frankly the same damn thing that we're doing right now. Why would I buy your business if you're just going to go compete with me? It's, it's a typical thing in, in a business transaction. Texas and, and not every single state's like this, but Texas, the way we value businesses is we don't include the value of what's called personal goodwill, what I myself bring to the business. So if you think about a business and valuing a business, you have to think about it as if I'm selling this business and literally handing the, the buyer the keys and you know, the metaphorical keys and saying, here's the business. I'm going across the street. I'm going to compete with you because I'm taking me out of the business, the valuation, the personal goodwill. So that's why we have businesses like a law practice, it's a law office, of, you know a single lawyer, um, dental practice, and it's just you know Dr. Johnson, dental practice. That's it. Most of that that value of that business is going to be the personal goodwill of that individual, as opposed to you know Walmart where Walmart, you're not paying for any individual. I don't care who owns Walmart, I'm paying for the for the corporate goodwill of the name Walmart. And, you know, if you have a CPA that doesn't understand that, or even worse, if you have a lawyer, a divorce lawyer that doesn't understand that issue in a divorce, you could have wildly different numbers come out. I mean, if you've got a, a business that is an ongoing concern would be worth $10 million, but one expert puts an 80% personal goodwill discount on it. All of a sudden you've gone from $10 million to $2 million. While the other expert puts a you know 20% personal goodwill discount, $10 million to $8 million. And right there, you've got a $6 million dispute just on what's the personal goodwill of this business. How much of this business is attributable to the individual, the individual personal goodwill as opposed to the corporate goodwill. And I guess that leads kind of in kind of the last thing and this is a topic. I mean, this this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, Brian. I know you love this stuff. It's it's fascinating to us. It kind of leads into the the last thing I wanted to talk about is just the process of of the different valuation methodologies that they use. And yeah, I think we talk about this on our website and it, and it kind of just we just brush on on how it's done. I mean, the experts obviously go much deeper than we do on our website, deeper than we do on the podcast, but it's important for people to have a general understanding of how businesses are valued in a divorce, just so you can kind of follow what the experts are doing and also understand the concept behind how we record these businesses. So, and we talk about this on our website overall, and there's lots of different nuances to it, but overall there's three main approaches to valuing a business. And uh, and you you see these in a lot of the business valuation reports. There's the what's called the asset approach, the market approach, and the income approach. And what we see most of all is the income approach. But but talking about it briefly, the market approach and the asset approach. You know, the market approach is if we have actual market analysis, where we can see almost a spot on similar business that's been sold on the market recently. Then you could use that analysis to value the business. It's rare to see. The market approach to use. I don't think I've ever seen it used um, by any experts. The asset approach is just if if you are doing a business that's mostly personal goodwill or doesn't have an ongoing revenue stream as an ongoing concern, you may see the asset approach. And that's just when we look at what are it's just like its title. What are the hard assets in the in the business? You know, let's look at equipment that's owned by the business, let's look at money in the bank, real estate owned accounts receivables that we think are actually going to be collected and just it's essentially just pulling a balance sheet there may be some discounts and and depreciations and and various things apply but it's really just looking at what the hard assets are almost as if you're doing a fire sale of just liquidating the business the most interesting one that i think the one that i think that is the most complex and used mostly is the income approach and that's valuing a business as an ongoing concern is when you buy a business you think about how much a business is worth that business is not just worth you know money in the bank if if brian has a hardware store that's you know harris county hardware store and it does five million dollars in net profit each year you know you name it like that's worth more than just the money in the bank that corporate goodwill that ongoing concern of the business is worth something and that's where you see a lot of work done on these business valuations, where we're looking at what the actual income is for these businesses, applying what's called a capitalization rate on it, applying discounts, looking at personal goodwill. I mean, I don't know about you, Brian, but curious about kind of your experience, but I think it's always fascinating to me looking at these business valuations how many judgment calls there are that the expert has to make. I mean, we can all look at a tax return or look at a PL and see how much a business make some profit at least what they're claiming to make in profit but then how many triggers there are and different ways that the experts can sort of depart uh, on their valuation methodology and then create you know wildly different numbers all the way from what's the capitalization rate that you use to the you know lack of control discounts to marketability discounts personal goodwill uh, all that stuff can just shoot everybody off into you know really far different numbers and And you can end up in court in front of a judge or a jury arguing over this stuff if the experts can't get on the same page.
1: Is that kind of how you see things uh, when you do these? I do. And it is hard. I mean, it is difficult. I mean, the example used of personal goodwill is a good one. What is a person's reputation worth? How many customers is it bringing in? Um, You know, it's just hard to say. And of course, what we've seen in the past few weeks with the economy and It just goes to show you there's unpredictable things out there that no one can even see coming and you've got to include some sense of all of that in in these valuations. Uh, I would, you know, I've got an example right now. We just thought we settled a case about a couple months ago. That's a really large company in the oil services business um, out in the fracking fields. Well, that was before oil went down to negative value and, and before the economy largely shut down, and so suddenly the number we had then doesn't make any sense. And there's not going to, and and the purchase was going to be done with with some future income from the company that's not going to be there anymore. They're, they're probably in bankruptcy. So these things can be mind-bogglingly complex. And that's probably a, a subject of a whole nother podcast. Is uh, you know, once you agree or get the court to pick a number, how do you actually get paid? That's another yeah. another thing.
0: Yeah. You don't want to just walk away with a slip of paper that's not secured by anything. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good point. So the level of complexity that this can go down, I never know what the business valuation, what the, the different nuances are going to be, like how we're we going to, you know, what's going to cause the numbers to be apart from both sides uh, on this. What I do know though, in every single case is I encourage my clients, you know, one, make sure that you hire a lawyer that understands business valuations. And and it's something I love doing. I know it's something Brian loves doing. It is fascinating to me. and sometimes it's it's frustrating that uh, I think there's some practitioners. It's just not something that they like doing. Or they just don't have a business sense. and and the confusion that that causes, I think, in cases if you have a lawyer involved that doesn't understand business valuations, things can go by you know really, really poorly. I always use the example. When I was actually, when I was an associate, I was probably like a two or three year associate, had a business valuation and the expert on the other side, it was fine. You know, actually some of that people use in Austin quite a bit. The lawyer didn't understand business valuations, he was using them. And the expert had just, you know, frankly done a mathematical error on the way he valued the business. He essentially put a positive sign where there's supposed to be a negative sign. The, The details aren't really too important, but it suffice to say that there is a $300,000 adjustment for working capital that's supposed to be a negative. He counted as a positive. You apply the capitalization rate to a positive $300,000. That should have been a negative $300,000. All of a sudden, his valuation dropped $2 million. And we caught it right away. I mean, our expert caught it. We caught it. But the lawyer on the other side didn't catch it. And his expert had messed up. And he didn't understand business valuations. And he didn't understand businesses enough to go You know, looking at this business that probably netted a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and his expert just came up with a $4 million valuation. You know, if me and Brian got that, we'd be going, "Uh, that's something's wrong here. I I wasn't expecting that number. But this lawyer didn't didn't see it coming and had its expert just gutted in a deposition. And then the court struck his expert and we're just left with our expert. All this to show is what I know in every single case is you want a lawyer who understands these things, and then you want to hire the right experts. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, anytime me and Brian have a case with a business valuation, we always we give clients options. You know, I sent an email this afternoon to a client saying, "Here's the three different people that could value your business," but I always give people the options of hiring the best in the state. We have really close relationships with the best CPAs in the state. Frankly, that's sometimes a more expensive option. It doesn't always make sense for the business, but we always start with that option. And then we talk through other options for For businesses that may not make sense. But hiring an expert and hiring the right expert and having a lawyer who has those relationships, I mean, it, it can be a multi million dollar question or it can be a few hundred thousand dollar question, but it's an it's a important and expensive question to answer in a divorce. And, and it's a conversation that frankly needs to start in the initial consult and then sort of continue on as the case the case goes on so it's something that we always have our ears open for it's obviously something that we like talking about a lot we wanted to do a podcast on it we like we've heard about it on our website because it's important to us and and i really enjoy it when i get those phone calls if i have a case with these questions in it or somebody's bringing me in on this co-counsel or to help them consult with how to handle these things it's it really is one of the more fascinating things that we see show up, show up in property division. And one of the more important questions that we see show up in property division. So, you know, if folks have questions about it, we have more information on our website. I'm sure like Brian said, we'll do more podcasts talking to more detail about how you actually effectuate these divisions, go into more details. But I think that's what we want to do for an overall this, this week, talking about uh, that issue in divorces. So Unless you have anything to add, Brian, I think we'll leave it at that. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk to everybody next time. Take care.